You are listening to Dermcast.tv, the official online media resource for the Society of Dermatology PAs. My name is Casey D'Amato. I um, have a few disclosures for everybody. Um, I am president of Certified PA Consulting. That probably gives me the most credentials for this uh, particular lecture. Um, I have consulted for Allergan for APC through um, that other consulting uh, arena. Um, my big project right now is co-founder of a, a very large um, skincare brand. It's the first natural and medical grade skincare. And uh, I've been a dermatology PA for 18 years, and I still see patients uh, part-time at this point, uh, about six days, seven days a month, typically. Um, and I have 10 years of practice administrator experience. So hopefully I can bring some value to all of you. Um, contracts are a piece of paper. Really, the art is in the negotiation. So we're going to talk a bit about contracts, but a lot more about the art of negotiation and, and how to um, have that piece of paper work for you. So contract is a written or spoken agreement, especially one concerning employment sales tenacity that's intended to be enforceable by law. Both parties must sign. Again, it's a piece of paper, but that paper can say whatever you determine it to say. So I have a, a question for everybody here. Um, by show of hands, do we have any new graduates or within one year of graduation? How many people? Okay, more than five years experience? How many people have more than five years experience? Okay, so almost everybody. Okay, so I'll, I'll kind of tailor this talk to um, those of us that have more experience and uh, those that have less, we can, we can chat after the talk. So these are kind of the typical elements that you're gonna see in a contract, right? You're gonna see salary and bonus structure, potentially some profit sharing or maybe a partnership if you're really aggressive. Um, you're gonna see malpractice, you're gonna see non-competes, you're gonna see your benefit package. You, you might, and I encourage you to put physical office location because of what's going on with consolidation these days. Um, and then you're gonna see some termination. You can see other things too, but this is the bulk of a primary contract that we're gonna see as a dermatology PA. So here's your first uh, response question. How many have a written contract versus a handshake contract and just a verbal agreement? We'll give another few seconds here. Everybody get their votes in. Okay, so written contract. Majority of people have a written contract, but some still have a handshake, and that's okay. Um, it, it, there isn't necessarily a right or wrong. I, I don't, you're probably in this day and age, again, if you're dealing with a big group, probably a little bit um, better protected with a written contract, but if you're working for someone really old-fashioned and old-school, handshake agreements can still um, be okay. Okay, next question. How many know what kind of malpractice coverage you have? There are two types. Most people we have, okay, or no, a little bit more, almost a 50-50 split, but a little bit more do know. Okay, that's good. So let's talk about malpractice for a minute. So we have occurrence versus claims made, right? Occurrence is the policy that's gonna carry you throughout. Even if you leave the practice that you're at, you're still covered. You're covered for today's treatments forever. If you have claims made policy, you're covered for today's treatment while you're working at that physical location, but if you leave, you're no longer covered. So it's important for, for those, which is almost half the group, to make sure you understand which policy you have. You're gonna be covered right now either way, and you can have rider policies underneath your, your group policy, and that's okay. You don't have to have your own, and you can have your own, and that's okay too. But it is important to know whether you have occurrence or claims made. Most people are gonna have claims made. Occurrence is very expensive. It's kind of like whole life insurance and term life insurance. So most people are gonna have term, uh, are gonna have term. Most people are gonna have uh, claims made, but that means that um, you're gonna need to consider tail coverage if you were to leave that practice, in which case you wanna negotiate ahead of time who's gonna be covering and paying that tail coverage because it can be a little bit expensive. Okay, so tail coverage could cost you up to 10,000. Um, I just transitioned after 15 years in the same practice and I, I think that mine was about 4,500 for my policy. Um, but you wanna look into it, you can call your policy now and you can find out what that number is. 
and look in your original contract and see if you were to leave. Sometimes it's written if, the, if it's on your own accord or versus it's a termination. Sometimes they'll cover it, otherwise you'll have to. So just be prepared for that. Um, and sometimes it'll cover you for a certain time span. You can go five years, 10 years or more. So make sure you look into that policy. My guess is most people are, are gonna have a claims made versus occurrence. So um, you definitely wanna be aware of what your tail coverage is gonna be if and when you ever leave the practice. Okay, next question. Do you have a non-compete in your contract? We're seeing this more and more now. So um, non-compete, meaning that you are obligated by law that you cannot practice within a certain radius uh, of your existing practice. Okay, 64, yes, on the non-compete. It's, it's hard to avoid non-competes now. Um, you can, if you can avoid it, obviously that's the best. Um, if you cannot avoid it, you try and negotiate down the radius as, you know, to as tight of a radius as you possibly can. Um, they are, some people will argue, are they really enforceable? It's state by state laws. It's kind of a gray zone whether they're truly enforceable or not. In, in pretty much every state, you cannot solicit your patients. Um, but as far as being able to work in a certain radius, you know, if you're not soliciting your patients, it's a little bit of a gray zone, whether you know, it's truly enforceable. And I know we have an attorney here, you can get a little bit more insight into that. Um, but in any case, it's best to, to keep that radius as, as narrow as you can. Okay, we kind of just talked about this. Oh, a couple points to bring up on this also. You, in your contract, you can identify if you were to practice within that radius, what is the monetary cost? So sometimes it'll say, you know, if you have to practice outside of a certain radius, if you, if you don't do that and you practice down the street, you're gonna be liable for $50,000 or three months of your typical um, revenue or something like that. It may be worth looking into that if you have a very strong patient following and you think your patients will find you. Um, in some cases, it, it can be worth putting a dollar amount in there to alleviate if someone won't budge on the radius. Um, you can put a contractual amount in there that you both agree upon. If you were to practice within that radius, you would have to um, you know, pay them a certain amount, which can be valuable if you have a very strong patient following. Okay, benefits, let's talk about benefits. So um, shout out anybody what you think the most expensive benefit is uh, as far as paid benefits. What's the number one most expensive? No, guess again. No. Staff. Staff is the number one most expensive. So by a show of hands, who has more than one, two or more support, dedicated support staff? So all of you have sixty dollars to $70,000 benefit to add on to what you are automatically thinking is your typical benefits with your health insurance and maybe malpractice, your dental, your disability. Staff by far is the most expensive um, benefit. If you're not there, they don't have to pay those staff. So it's a, I'm bringing that up because a very powerful negotiating tool is staff. And I, right now with EMRs, I know everybody needs a scribe and you need your MAs and you need the support, and that's kind of part of the issue with what's happening in medicine with the overhead costs going up because we, we all need more support staff. But just keep that in mind. If there's any possible way that you can trim down on your staff, it's very powerful from my standpoint as a, as a practice administrator. If someone comes to me and says, I can get by with two staff instead of three, it, you know, can we increase my percentage points every day of the week? I'm going to do that for sure. Um, so just keep that in mind. Number one most expensive benefit is your staff. Here again, your total package. And again, your staff alone could be a hundred grand. If you have three staff, you're going to be at a hundred grand before you even count anything else that you have in your benefit package. So make sure you consider that when you back into all the different percentage calculations, make sure you're accounting for the staff. If you need them, you need them and you have to have them, but you have to also factor that into the cost to the practice. Okay, let's talk about the money. This is what we know, right? Insurance reimbursements are going down and the expenses are going up. Cosmetics are not cheap. Um, so that's a very high uh, overhead cost for those of us that do a lot of cosmetics. Dermatologists and dermatology in general 
uh, the reimbursements are going down compared to inflation for sure. The physicians, the dermatologists are making less now uh, than they were. Um, Medscape just put out a, an article, I want to say it's like 20% or 25% are um, reporting reduced income of the dermatologists. Um, so it's something to think about. We're seeing that reflect in the dermatology PA world as well. And unfortunately, it's, it's frustrating, right? So if we've been practicing 10 or 15 or 20 years, you're like, I've been doing this so long, I, I, I deserve a raise. Well, you're working really hard, yes, and so are our dermatologist colleagues, but unfortunately, the reimbursements are going down, the reforms are kicking in, and the scribes and the staff costs are going up. So the, the pendulum is swinging a little bit out of balance. So we're seeing everything dip a little bit over the last decade as far as salaries um, specialty-wide. Okay. Next question, types of salaries. So here's the most common that we see, right? So salary, base salary alone, salary plus a percentage or percentage alone. Let's see, uh, out of the group here, which is mostly experienced, um, where we fall in this, between these three categories. Okay. Okay, that's what I figured we were gonna see. Base salary plus a percentage of collections. That's what we hear most of the time. Um, I like percentage alone. I think there's a lot of leveraging power there. You can, you can determine a lot of independence and autonomy with percentage alone as far as your schedule and, and structure. So I do like percentage alone. I, I don't love salary alone. I'm hoping that's kind of our new grads out there. Um, but base salary plus percentage of collections, for sure, that's what you're gonna see most of the time. Um, so that's, that's kind of typical response. Okay, don't try to memorize this slide. We'll, we'll kind of talk you through it. The, basically, the point of this slide is there's, there's three different structures. Your base plus your bonus, your, your straight percentage, and then a tiered structure. This is kind of the, the three common types of structures that we see. Then you have three kind of expenses, if you will, to the practice. You've got your base salary kind of in one bucket. You've got your percentage bonus in one bucket, and you've got your benefits in another bucket. So you can tr trade those around. So there's sort of a sliding scale. If your base salary goes up, typically your percentage is going to go down or vice versa. So don't be confused when you read all these blogs and these articles and, and all this, you know, conversations out there and networking this weekend when you talk to a lot of your colleagues. You're going to hear everything under the sun, I promise you. Um, you're going to hear everything from base salaries of 80000 to base salaries of 150000 I guarantee you're going to hear that. You're going to hear percentages anywhere from no percentage up to straight percentage of probably upper 30%. I'll be, I'll be surprised if you hear anything in the 40s anymore. Um, and then you're going to hear all sorts of tiered structures where if you make over, if you bring in over a certain amount of revenue, your percentage goes up in all different ways. The point of this slide is no matter how you break this down, the, 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 what matters to me, the practice owner or the practice manager, is the total cost to the practice. The total cost of the practice is essentially the same, give or take a few pennies here or there. So there is no right or wrong way. There is no what is the average salary structure or what is, it's, it's kind of customized what works for you. So if you need to provide more benefits, maybe um, you know, you're a single parent or something like that, you're going to need a heavier um, benefit package. Or if you are super busy, you're seeing 50, 60 patients a day, you're going to need support staff big time. Those are non-negotiable items. So when those things happen, you have to take from the other categories. But you know, maybe you have more flexibility. Maybe you, you know, want independence, like myself. So straight percentage works for me. If I'm not there, I don't get paid. But I need flexibility in what I do. So it, it's, it's customized. You're gonna, you are going to hear everything under the sun while you're here this weekend. And I just want you to remember this, that there isn't a right or wrong. Because at the bottom line is the same cost to the practice. It all depends on how you negotiate what works for you. So you have to really sit down and itemize, do you really need that high base salary or would you rather have higher percentage? I would encourage you to go for the higher percentage. It's gonna be more lucrative for you. The, the base salary is a security net, I get it, um, but the percentage is where it's at. So, and then whatever benefits you can carve off and you can save money to the practice, you can negotiate to increase either your base, which I wouldn't do, increase your um, 
bonus percentage is what I would do. It's a, it's a lot cleaner way to negotiate that way. When you try to negotiate for a base salary, uh, the, the other side of the table feels like you're asking for something without giving something in return. When you negotiate for a percentage, it's a team effort. As you make more, they make more, it's all a win-win. It's a much easier negotiation. Um, so the point of this slide really is that you can structure it any different way and the cost of the practice is the same. So you really have to think about what works for you and try not to get confused by all the chatter out there in our industry because um, there isn't one single person in this room and there will not be one single person here out of the 600 plus people coming this weekend that has the same structure, I promise you that, and has the same benefit package unless you all work for the same you know, consolidated group and they force everybody into the same, but other than that, you're not gonna hear the same, the same structure twice. And that's good, we want that. We don't want the profession to be forced into a pigeonhole to be all paid the same. It's, it's better for everybody to negotiate what works for them. So try to be open-minded and think that way. Okay, so cosmetic PA salaries is a kind of a different beast, a different animal. Um, I'll just talk about this for just a second. Obviously there's very high cost of goods. So with uh, cosmetic PAs, if you're heavily cosmetic, oftentimes your percentage will drop. So you'll see cosmetic PAs uh, sometimes in a little bit lower percentage, and that's normal and that's fine. Trust me, they're still making a good living um, because you're going to take that cost of goods off the top. Uh, I mean, if you don't take the cost of goods off the top, or you're going to subtract the cost of goods and then calculate it percentage. So depending on if they keep the cost of goods um, into the total gross revenue when calculating it or not, um, you may see... Uh, that numbers drop, but, but keep in mind, a, a huge amount of the uh, collections have to go to pay Allergan and, and our pharmaceutical friends. Um, some, some PAs will structure two different percentage structures for their general derm and for their cosmetics. I don't think that's a bad idea. I think that's fine because your, your overhead costs as a general derm are very, very low. So almost everything you're bringing in um, besides your staff, but the rest of the revenue um, really is, is there to be shared. You're, you're covering a portion of the rent and the electric and things like that, um, but that's kind of all built into that percentage. But uh, that's nothing compared to those of us that are full-time aesthetic and, and we're driving up some big bills um, with the pharmaceutical guys out there. Mo's is also very interesting. You, so there's a couple different ways you can structure Mo's salary. So you can either negotiate a percentage of the closures if you're doing mostly closures. The other thing that you can do is you can calculate how much more productive the Mohs surgeon is because you're there. So if they were on their own or they were just working with a tech or an MA or whatever it is, would they be as efficient as having you? So say you increase their productivity by 20%, let's say. Well, then you could split the difference of that and say, you know what, if I wasn't here, you'd be 25% less efficient. How about we split the difference on that, you know, and I get 10 or 12% and you get the remainder, or maybe you take 30%. However it is, you can, you can base it on their increase in productivity, or you can base it on uh, a percentage of the closures if you're doing uh, primarily um, closures. So a couple different ways you can structure it if you're, if you're heavy into um, surgical. So just to conclude what we're going to talk about salaries, um, because I definitely want to get into negotiations uh, skills a little bit more as well. We can revisit some of this. Um, you're going to see a huge, huge range uh, and anywhere from, you know, 80. I haven't heard anybody at 400 lately, but I, I have heard upper, upper two is pushing three. Um, and you can, you can really structure it in any, any way, shape, or form. So I think that's just the most important thing to remember is there is no one perfect way. Everybody's different, and that's a good thing. That's what we want. We kind of talked about this a little bit. So um, now we're seeing the total base salary plus bonus plus your benefits, including staff, against the total collections you're bringing into the office typically we're seeing like 25 to 35%. So you can run your own math. If you're bringing in 500,000 in revenue, let's say you have a $100,000 base, you have a you know 15% or 20% bonus, and then calculate all the costs of your benefits, including your staff, and figure out what that percentage is against your total collections. If you're between 25 and 35, you're really in range. Um, Newer grads are probably going to be a little bit lower, or if, you're, if your revenue is higher, if you're pushing that million dollars in revenue, then we're going to see people getting more in that 35. That's where you fall in that range. The 
the higher your overall revenue, the more people can negotiate, you know, up to that 35, 36, maybe 38% even. Um, but majority of people, when you tally it all up, their base plus their bonus plus their cost of benefits, including staff, um, you're gonna, everybody's pretty much falling between 25 and 35% um, now. And, and you can access the SDPA survey um, and, and you guys can see all of that yourself. Okay, so let's talk about how to negotiate because um, negotiation is how you make all those things happen, right? So these are the most important questions to ask when you're coming into negotiation. So if you're thinking about making a, a move and you're, you're thinking about transitioning offices, the question is, how many patients are you expected to see at the new office, and is it in line with what you're comfortable seeing? If you're comfortable seeing 25 patients a day, and you're interviewing someone, they're saying they want you to see 40 patients a day, are you going to be able to sustain there? Um, and you have to do some soul searching on that. And, and vice versa. If you're used to seeing 40, and you're going somewhere, they're like, we're not that busy, you're maybe going to see 15 patients a day, you're going to be bored, and you're not going to make any money, and you're going to just burn out and want to leave. So. How many patients do, do they expect, and is that in line with what you are used to? How quickly will your schedule be full, and who is filling it? Do you have to network, or is your supervising doc filling it, or uh, however? How are the patients getting to you? Where's your physical workspace? Do you have a desk? Where is it? Is it really conducive to working? Are you going to have to use an EMR, and how much support staff are you going to have? If you have an EMR, do you have a scribe? How many MAs? You know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, are you communicating with the office manager or the supervising doc? That's important because sometimes they'll divide. You'll talk to your supervising doc for clinical or the office manager for business. And that's fine as long as there's open communication and you have a good relationship with both. So if you're interviewing only with one, you really need to interview with both. And you need to make sure you're comfortable with both people and there's a very open working relationship with both people. Um, if you're only working with one, that's okay, but make sure you understand that if you're making a change because there can be conflicts, there easily be conflicts between that triangle. Um, who keeps track of the numbers? 100% you have to see your numbers. You cannot grow your own business without seeing the numbers, and that's the argument that you say to your physician who's holding back on showing you your numbers. You cannot see if things are going down. You cannot see if things are going up. And yes, clinical medicine is number one. Taking care of your patients is number one. And learning dermoscopy is, is important. But as, at the end of the day, it's a business. And if the numbers don't come in and the revenue's not there, the rent can't get paid, the staff can't get paid, and it's, no one has a job tomorrow. So you need to take some responsibility, we all do, in, in seeing what our numbers are. So how are they going to report that? Can you log into whatever their system is and see your numbers at any given time? Are they going to give it to you once a month? Who's going to give it to you? But you 100% have to be able to see your numbers, and that's how, that's how you know that you can negotiate, because if you see your numbers going up, you know you're in a position to possibly negotiate. If you see your numbers going down, not that it's in your control, it might just be reimbursements, but unfortunately, if the revenue's going down you know, related to your efforts, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but you, you can't negotiate a whole lot. So um, you have to see the numbers in order to negotiate. Um, what are the office hours and locations? So I've seen this coming up now with the more consolidation. People are getting hired in one location, and then there's these groups with you know, 20, 30, however many offices, and then they want you to travel to wherever. So um, really, it's important to find out what the expectation is, because you may or may not be comfortable with that, and you want to you really establish that from the get-go. Same thing with Saturdays and call and things like that. Maybe you're comfortable, maybe you wanna ask for a couple extra bucks for those things. Um, if, you're, if it's absolutely not, it's a deal breaker, then make sure that expectation is set up front so that you don't feel that you're being taken advantage of. You, everybody knows what's going on. Um, and uh, is there opportunity to grow professionally? So this also comes up sometimes. So, you know, if you are 100% clinical medicine and, and dermatology PA, that's all you do, this really isn't relevant to you. But if you are interested in doing anything else, um, this, can, this can be an issue. I just ran into this in, in my practice after 15 years, which is why I transitioned. Um, new owners came in, and they didn't like that I have two other businesses outside of clinical care. It, and it became a friction. It's, you know, I've had those businesses for seven years with, along with clinical care, but they didn't like it. So that became a problem. So we parted ways amicably just that, you know what, they, they need something else from their dermatology PA than what I can provide, and I have different business goals than what theirs are, and we split, and I literally am two miles away, and all my patients followed me. 
um, and it worked out. Nobody sued anybody. We still refer back and forth, and it's fine. Um, but you need to know, if you're going to get into other um, business, whether it is speaking, whether it's working with pharma, whether it's, I mean, literally anything. Sometimes in the contracts, um, it can be, um, the verbiage can be kind of, gray around you having any other revenue sources. I mean, even if you are crafty and you're doing something on Etsy, you know, that could come back and they could say that they own part of that revenue. So um, be careful with um, professional development and not only in the contract, but also in your negotiations, because if you want to do something outside of that physical office or you want to moonlight on the weekend somewhere else, um, that could be a problem if you don't. Um, you know, verbalize that. And I would recommend having that out in the open and full transparency. I would not recommend keeping any of those things um, secret. That's, that is not a good way to, to have a, a PA supervising physician partnership. Okay. Am I going too fast for you guys? You're okay? Okay. All right. How do you get patients on your schedule? The front desk, having to build your own network, combo of the two, or a call center, which I'm hearing a little bit more and more about, which I think is a little bit bizarre, who just assigns patients to any provider that's available. Um, they don't ask for someone specific. front desk. Okay. Okay, so this, let's talk about this, then let's stay on the slide for a second. Um, this is not good for your negotiation power. So B makes you the most valuable. A um, is risky that you could be replaced by anybody else in this room. Um, so be careful. So the more B is, the more B's or, or proportion combination, um, the stronger your negotiating power because that shows that you're valuable. And if anything were to ever happen and you move someplace else, your referral sources are still going to refer to you in your new location. So, you know, I would encourage everybody to network a little bit harder. It's in your best interest to establish relationships with primary care physicians, primary care. I'll tell you who my network is. Um, primary care physicians, primary care PAs. Um, I'm, I'm in aesthetics, so I have to look for uh, cash pay. I, I work um, women's health, um, cash pay only women's health. In LA, we have that, no insurance a lot. Um, uh, hairdressers, fitness center trainers. Um, I network with my husband's business opportunities, so their colleagues. As many people as you can get referring to you that have access to a lot of their clients that then can become your patients, if anything happens in your practice, you still have a patient following, number one. And number two, if your practice sees that you're bringing in all this revenue, you're so much more valuable with negotiations. If you're just waiting for the crumbs to fall from your supervising doc, that does not put you in a powerful position um, when it comes to negotiation. So um, one takeaway, try to enhance your network a bit. So this is something else to think about for your personal long-term goals. You're looking at your practice right now where you are. Maybe you're thinking about making a change. You know, maybe you're, you're kind of tired of this existing practice and there's some things you don't like about it and the grass is greener. But what is really your long-term plan? You know, are you going to maybe cut back to part-time? Do you think you might move for any reason to some other geographical area? Um, do you think you're going to do some kind of business entity? You know, um, are, do you want to learn new clinical skills? And is your current job kind of stifling you and there might be other opportunities? Think about what you want and then look at your current situation and then look at if you have a new potential opportunity on the table, does that opportunity offer the things that you want for yourself? So. What I see a lot, and, and I'm hoping by the end of the, the talks today in this professional development series, um, what I see a lot is our profession tries to plug into the position. So we interview with you know three or four different offices, and we make a pro and con list on each one, 
and then we sort of just kind of pick the one that seems like it'll work the best. But what I what I am encouraging everybody to do it would be to before you look at any practices, just write down. Everybody in this room has enough experience. What your perfect role would be if you lived in a world of perfection and there was no, you know. There was no healthcare reform. There was no issues with insurance. What would your hours be? What would your commute be? What kind of um, types of patients between aesthetics, general, Mo's? What would your? How much support staff would you have? Like paint the perfect dream job. Like write it down. Write it down right now. Write down like ten things that you in your dream job you would have. Then go back and look at your existing position or the position that's on the table and see if it fits in. So try to see. There's so much opportunity out there for our profession. Um, we are not the victims. We actually have opportunity right now with what's going on, despite the insurance cutbacks. We have massive job opportunities. So there's a, there's a lot of variation out there. So there isn't there isn't only one job. There's a lot of other opportunity outside of where you're working now. So if you paint your perfect picture, um, obviously you're not going to make a million dollar salary, but within reason. Um, and then back into, as you're out there talking to people, back into the positions that fit what, what are your ultimate goals. That's how you're going to be the most happy and successfully and fulfilled professionally long term. If you try to plug yourself into their role, um, you're more, much more risk to burn out. Okay. So once you know what, what really your ultimate dream job is, so then... You have to find out what your supervising doc's vision is for their future or the group. Are they going to expand to 50 new locations? Is your supervising doc going to retire? And in which case, are they going to tell you what the plan is or do you have to guesstimate? Because there's three options. They wind down, they sell to somebody else in the group, or they sell to one of these large consolidations. Those are the three things. So if you have a doc that's a little bit older that you work with, you have to think about one of those those three things happening. That's what happened in my case. My, my doc got, got to retire and sold to uh, a younger partner who had a lot of changes in the vision for the future. So um, definitely look at that. Um, the satellite location situation, think about that because all of a sudden you could be every day in a different location with an hour or more commute. Um, are there gonna be more providers? So if they're planning on hiring another PA, another physician, a nurse practitioner, whoever it is, is it really going to affect your schedule? This is where we come back to the importance of that referral network. If you have a strong referral network, it will not affect your schedule. If they bring in somebody else, I was in a, in a super busy practice in Santa Monica. We brought two physicians on board. My schedule didn't blink an eye. Now, if I was referring, if I was waiting for the front desk or the supervising doc to feed me, they started feeding all the new patients to the new physicians to build them up. So if I didn't have my own referral sources, I would have been dead in the water and I'm on straight percentage. So that would have been horrible. But they had no choice to do it. The doc was getting to re ready to retire. He had to bring on somebody else. There was no option. The, the business was not going to survive otherwise. So it, there's... you. My point being, there's no um, point in having a conversation with the office manager saying, oh, you can't bring on a new provider, that's going to kill my schedule. If they need to bring on another provider, they will. So you have to try to insulate yourself from that, and the only way to do that is that networking, um, that networking situation. Vice versa, if they're going to let go of a provider, how is that going to affect your schedule? Are you going to get too many patients that, that you can handle? Are they going to hire more staff for you? How is this going to work? Are they expecting too much? So make sure you know what's going on there. Um, how does the practice market itself? So probably most of you, um, how many are in a really urban uh, area in this room? Like really urban, maybe a third. Okay, so those of us that are more urban, you know, we have a little bit more competition. Most others probably have not a problem with this, but we have to do a little bit of marketing in Los Angeles, right? Because it's, we have in my building alone, eight dermatologists. Um, so is the practice going to market and how is important if you're somewhere that there's a lot of competition? If you're not and you're booked out three months, this is a completely irrelevant point. Um, and then lastly, does your supervising doc have um, prior PA exposure? In this group, almost everybody's experienced, so of course they do because they've worked with all of you. So, um, okay, so negotiation. So back to that point where you make your list of your perfect dream job. And then you align it with what either your current situation is or what the new opportunity is. Look, there's going to be two or three points that don't match. 
and you should be able to clearly identify what those are. If the whole list doesn't match, then, I mean, it's time to move on. But there should be only a couple things that don't match. So that's where you're going to negotiate. And what you need to figure out is what is 100% a deal breaker. You know, if you're expected to see 50 patients a day, it's a deal breaker if you don't have minimum of two staff, I'm guessing. Um, if you are, you know, if you have kids, you know, or something working on Saturdays might be a complete deal breaker. So figure out those points for you that absolutely you're not willing to negotiate on. It's not the job for you if these things are expected of you. And then kind of be reasonable and go into it with a compromise, um, thinking that if there are some things, like maybe Saturdays would be okay with you if you got paid more or taking call or things like that. So, or maybe the increased patient volume would be okay if they hired you as support staff. So look at your three things and try and get really creative about how can you make it a win-win scenario. If anybody makes you an offer, don't accept or decline it on the spot, no matter how good or how horrible it is. Um, sleep on it, digest it, you know, look at your original dream job list against this one and really just take a minute. Um, sometimes uh, people come out of the gate really low ball and there's still a lot of room for negotiation. You have to think really hard about what you can bring to the table because um, if you're not bringing a lot to the table, then your risk is that there's 650 people that are gonna be here this weekend that they can just call the next resume on the list and talk to them. So you've gotta figure out what are your key negotiating points of what you're bringing to the table. And, and that's what you come back with. Do not get emotional. Negotiations is factual. It's about the bottom line. So we are all trained in clinical medicine, but again, medicine is a business. No one talks about it. It's a dirty word, but it is. In, in business, if you get emotional, you're dead in the water. You, it's all about the numbers. So either the numbers make sense, you're bringing in enough revenue against what you're costing the practice, or they don't. Either your numbers are increasing or the cost of the practice is decreasing. One of those two things have to happen in order to negotiate. And you can get confused and distracted by it's not fair and Susie's been here less time than me and she has a higher base salary and all those things. But don't go down that road. It's not about what's fair. It's about which structure works for you because all of us have different structures. And then it's, it's about the numbers at the end of the day. So, um, you know, it's not a personal decision. Um, when it comes to the office manager or the supervising doc or the business owner or the CEO or whoever you're talking to, um, it's about the numbers at the end of the day. So um, that's just the name of the game. You have, to, you, know, you have to stay calm and come into it organized with your data of what you're gonna bring to the table. We just talked about this. Don't compare yourself to anybody else. It's only about what your, your value is to the practice. Nobody else matters. Even if there's 50 PAs in your group, doesn't matter. Um, and I have mixed feelings on the little unionizing that's going on with PAs in some of these big groups. I, I don't know. I'm not a big fan. I don't think that, P, that dermatology PA should be paid the same structures because everybody's situation is unique and it's in our best interest to be able to customize the structure to what works for you. And right now we have the ability to do that. So I would encourage everybody to continue to do that and to shy away from kind of the little mini micro unionization um, that goes on with some of these large consolidation groups. Data, this is an important point. So there's a lot of groups out there. Um, there's an active one on Facebook I see. Um, I don't get to go on the SDPA website as much as I'd like to, there's forums there. But there's a lot of chatter and, and people sometimes chatter when they're frustrated or they're scared. They're thinking about making a change, so they're nervous. So you're getting emotional responses when you're reading things online. Be careful. You're only seeing part of the story. So they may put out percentage numbers. They may put out benefits. They might put out, you know, lately there was one on the Facebook group talking about how much notice is appropriate when you're going to leave. Well, that's kind of a loaded question because why are you leaving? You know, are you leaving because you have, is there major personality conflicts? Are you leaving because your spouse is getting relocated and you have a year's notice? So, um, you know, there's not enough details there in, in the minutia of what's going on really in that practice. So be careful what you read online. The most reliable data is from the SDPA salary survey. Um, I know it's not, everybody did not respond, unfortunately. So you still even have to take that with a grain of salt, but it's gonna be the most reliable you're gonna get. Um, APA is not particularly reliable because it, it's not, it's focused on our profession. Um, Allergan really, 
If anybody is talking to an Allergan consultant, which I don't know how active they are, I heard one a couple months ago um, kind of ruffling some feathers, but their data is mostly from aesthetic-only practices, and sometimes they share their data with uh, general derm practices that have some aesthetics, and it's kind of apples and oranges. So it's, it's important to, to kind of educate them on that, that even though they have data from their um, physician group, their physician group is primarily almost very, very highly, highly aesthetic with very little uh, general derm, and that's different than if you're balancing general derm with some aesthetics. Okay, how I want to negotiate. So this is um, things to think about. Is your office opening up a new satellite location? If they are, they're probably spending anywhere from 200 to 500,000, depending on where they are in the country. Um, is your, your doc going through personal problem like a divorce or a lawsuit, malpractice, whatever it may be? Um, if those things are going on, it is not your best time to negotiate because the practice is spending a lot of money at that time. And it's a bummer. I totally understand it's a bummer because you want to negotiate and you've been there a long time and it's your review is up. But at the end of the day, they're investing in the growth of the business, which hopefully is going to be better for you long term, unless it's a personal situation going on. Um, but those things are distracting and they're expensive to the supervising doc and to the, to the business. And so unfortunately, those are not good times to negotiate and you probably need to wait to bring it up for the right time. You want to negotiate when everybody's happy. If you have a good relationship with the office manager and they tell you if you can get any insight on the overall numbers of the total practice, that's even better. Because if you can see that this particularly high quarter or a particularly high year for the whole practice, all the providers, um, that's, that's when you want to negotiate. Everybody's happy and everybody's doing well, the business has a lot of money, you know that your numbers are going up, that's when you want to negotiate. Okay, schedule a meeting, mostly off-site on neutral ground. If you can, try not to do it in someone's office because that automatically puts them in a position of power. Um, so if you can schedule it in a neutral um, location, make it casual, go to a lunch, go to a dinner, whatever it is, get drinks after work or coffee or whatever it may be, um, and, and try and make it sort of a friendly conversation and really about what you're gonna to bring to the table. So you're, you're really loyal, you wanna stay with a practice for a long time. That's what, that's what a practice administrator wants to hear. I really wanna stay with this practice forever. I see myself here until I'm going to retire. What can I do to help grow the business for you? That's how you start the conversation over your coffee or your glass of wine or whatever it is. Let them talk a little bit and say all the things and tell you that you've done a good job, kind of feel them out a little. You'll get a read of you know, how important you are to them. And then, then you kind of come in after you've worn them up and they've told you how wonderful you are. And then you go, well, I'm so wonderful. I think I deserve an increased percentage this year. Um, but make sure you know your numbers going into it too. So it's not just about what you've done in the past with your numbers increasing, but it's also about what you're gonna do moving forward, meaning your loyalty and maybe it's numbers, but maybe you're your max, maybe you're your max. You can't see any more patients. So it can't be a number conversation. So what else would it be? Could you train some junior staff? Could you help some oversight? Could you manage a satellite? What can you do to bring some extra value if it's not, if you don't have room to be busier uh, and increase your productivity? We kind of talked a little bit about this um, going into negotiations. Careful with the online chatter. It, there's emotion behind all of that. Um, make sure you know your full cost of the practice. Staff, 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 staff. Um, and make sure you know your collections. Um, how many people in here do not have access to your numbers? Not too many, a handful, okay. Get your numbers, you guys, or start looking for other opportunities. Okay, um, make an offer. So loyalty is number one. I love working here. I love everything about this practice. I wanna be here forever until I retire. I don't wanna be anywhere else except here. I'm gonna devote my professional career to you. That is how you start the conversation. If you have room to increase your numbers, this is how you negotiate to get extra staff support. I really want my numbers to increase. I think that I can increase by my patient flow by 20, 25% or whatever, whatever the number is, um, but I, I am gonna need an extra staff to do that. So um, that's how you can negotiate to get extra staff support. Um, network, network, network. That is your insurance policy if anything happens to your practice network. 
you don't know your, your supervising doc could get hit by a truck tomorrow and you're out there interviewing and unless you are someplace um, where it's an underserved area and you have, patients are booked out two months, but if you're in an area where there's any competition, you need your referral sources. Um, staff management, can you help oversee the staff or can you train some, some new grads coming in? What can you do to help provide some value there? Can you oversee some of these kooky government programs, uh, MIPS and MAPS and all those things? Um, and uh, can you oversee a satellite? Those are things that are valuable. So make sure that you are completely irreplaceable and you do not want them to think that they can just call the next resume um, and, and fill the schedule. Your patients should demand to see you. Your patients, you don't want your patients to just be flexible to see anybody in the office. They should demand to see you and your referral sources should send to you. That is valuable. Okay. Ask for a review. This is sometimes how you can bring it up rather than saying you want to negotiate your contract. Ask them for a review. If they say they're open to a review, probably 80 to 90% of the time means they're kind of open to talking about the salary a little bit. Hopefully your numbers didn't go down over the last year or there isn't some extraneous situation going on. But if they, you ask for a review and they say yes, they're open to it, that's your first clue that they're probably open to some wiggle room. Um, always present what you're going to bring to the table first, loyalty number one, numbers number two, or some other kind of value that you're going to bring um, management or leadership uh, that's going to take something off their plate. Um, so those are, those are kind of listed there at the bottom for you. Okay. Again, back to the long-term happiness. Is this really the opportunity that you want to stay in forever? So if you, if you think about your life in five years, 10 years, 15, 20, is this the office that you want to be in? Or this new opportunity that you're looking at, can you see yourself there long-term? Um, if you can, that's great. Uh, if, there's, if you think maybe, but there's some things you need to negotiate, well, that's good, you can negotiate. That's every, everything typically is negotiable, but in some instances, uh, things are not like let's say there's only you only have one exam room or, or two exam rooms and you need more space well probably if the whole office is only six exam rooms and there's one to two other providers probably they're not going to build out a new space for you so those kind of things are not really negotiable you have to think about can you stagger hours or you have to get really creative so some of the frustrations, you have to be rational that there isn't always a solution. You know, something, a lot, a lot is negotiable, but in some instances, if you're really frustrated with something and there, it just is what it is, I mean, there is no more physical space because there's too many providers in a small space, then you have to, you think hard and long if this is where you want to be long term or you're going to be frustrated that you don't have enough space or support. So uh, my point being is you have control. Your supervising doc doesn't have control or the office. You know, we, again, we are fortunate in our profession to have a massive job market out there. So dermatology still as a, as a field, as a specialty, um, has a need for providers. So there, there's, a, there's plenty of opportunity out there. Um, and again, all different structures, all different paces of patient flow. Um, all different visions between clinical and, and medical and aesthetics and surgical. So you have to think about really what you want. It's not your office does not control you. You control yourself and there are other opportunities if this is not the one. Uh, we'll come back to this at Q&A. Let's come back to that. Okay. So we're nearing the end. I don't want to leave plenty of time for you guys to ask questions. Um, so why don't people get what they want? Because they don't ask. So you have to come in and ask for it, but you want to offer something first and kind of gingerly ask for it. And if you can position it in a way that really you're really offering them something and you kind of bury it in the language, that's the best way to negotiate. If you come right in and you just say, hey, I want to raise, it's, you're probably going to get shot down. Um, so you have to really think carefully about how you're going to do it, but don't be afraid to do it. Everybody in here has value. We all, almost everybody has postgraduate degrees. We're educated. Um, you know, we take care of our patients. We spend all this time on CMEs and, and advancing our education. So we have value. Don't be afraid to go into a negotiation and, and be confident about it. We're still rated one of the happiest professions. So despite what's going on in healthcare, Okay, so this is uh, the last slide here. So this is kind of 
I'm a huge Tony Robbins fan. I go once a year, I'm going in two weeks again. I did walk on the fire and do all that stuff. So I like this quote from Tony. Um, if you're gonna make a change, you have to operate from a new belief that says life happens to you, but not for you. So you're creating your own future. We, we have a lot of opportunity in our careers and contracts one element, the contracts paper, you have to negotiate to get to that point. So if you don't wake up every morning and feel like you wanna do all these things, if you're not dancing, if you're not laughing and hugging everybody every day, um, then rethink your happiness in your life and make a change. So, um, and I'm gonna leave you guys with the Amy Cuddy pose. So this is from a TED talk. Amy Cuddy is um, a PhD from Harvard and she's, I won't give you the whole long backstory, but she did some research on body language. So the point being, if you're sitting at your desk thinking, oh, I have to negotiate today, and you're, you have this body language, and then you're like, man, I don't, I'm scared to go negotiate. I don't know, how am I gonna do this? And you go out to your doc, oh, can I talk to you later after work? That's a whole different attitude than if you're like, you're ready to go, and you do the power pose before you go in. So the power pose that Amy Cuddy developed is that victory pose that everybody does at the end of a marathon, or if you're gonna do the 5K, whatever it is, it's like, yes, I did it, but you do this before the conversation, before the negotiation. So, everybody stand up. And if we can have some music from the back. If you can do it with music, it's even better. This is what I do before um, some of my major uh, business meetings and things like that. Um, can we have some music from the back? Okay, power pose, Amy Cuddy, everybody. 10 seconds. So, if you're in the office, Go in the bathroom, go in the exam room. Before you're gonna to talk to anybody about your negotiation, before you even ask to talk to anybody, stand like this. This is your victory pose. You've already won before you even went in to talk to them, right? You're, here we are, we just won the marathon, woohoo! If you have music, dance around, woohoo! Then go in, then you're gonna come in and be like, hey, can we talk a little bit later today? Can I have a performance review? And your attitude and your body language, you're gonna be shoulders back. You already won the conversation before you started. It's gonna be a whole different ball game than if you go into that after sitting at your desk, hunched over, doing your EMR, like, man, this is a long day. So do your power pose, listen to your music, dance and hug, and uh, negotiate everybody. And that's what I will leave you with. Thanks. I'll take, we have a few minutes for questions. Work for a large academic medical center. Uh, there are no contracts, right. Um, often the increase required number of patients and pressure meet budget goals without any extra resources. Yes. 